Well, good morning. We want to welcome each and every one of you to Paris Valley Christian Church. Thanks for taking the time to be together as the body of Christ, whether you're in person or online. Welcome each and every one of you. I don't know about you, but I'm loving Jonah's shirt today. I'm thinking I was a little, I was having to work on my, you know, not uh, being uh, jealous and that sort of thing. I gotta, I'm going to look into a Palm Sunday shirt for next year for sure, but... Uh, I appreciate uh, Jonah's meditations this morning, and I just want to welcome you again this morning to Palm Sunday 2021. A year ago, it was a little bit different, and so thanks for being together as the body of Christ this morning. One Palm Sunday, there was a family that went to church services, and the teenage son, he had to stay home because he was sick. He wasn't feeling well, and so he stayed home, and the family went to services, and and then they came home, and as they came through the door, they were holding palm branches in their hands, and the teenage boy looked at them, and like, what's going on, and asked, well, what's the deal? What's going on? on with these these branches that you have in your hands and the family explained that when Jesus passed by the people rejoiced and waved palm branches as a symbol of goodness well-being grandeur steadfastness and victory and after hearing this the the boy was kind of upset and said great the one Sunday I miss church Jesus shows up My prayer this morning is that we all realize that when we come together as the body, Jesus shows up. Jesus is here with us. That's what scripture teaches. Where two or more are gathered, there he will be also. And so Jesus is showing up this morning. Amen? The question is, are we going to listen to what he has to share with us? And the title of the message on this Palm Sunday 2021 is, Here Comes the King. Here comes the king, and may we allow Jesus to show up as the king in our lives this morning. As I was thinking about this idea of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry and Jesus coming into Jerusalem, I I thought about this question of what's the most dramatic introduction or entrance you've ever seen or experienced. And I threw that out on Facebook, and I got a lot of different responses. I'm not going to share all of them with you, but a, a few of them were things like skydiving into a stadium with music and light show and fireworks. That would be a pretty dramatic introduction or maybe it's the torch runner entering the stadium and lighting the flame for the olympics to begin wow just that 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 moment where the it just or maybe it was the american flag coming onto the field at a new york professional baseball game for the first time after 9 11 and that dramatic entrance Or maybe if you've been to Disney World or Land, Colors of Wonder show. And there were several people that mentioned this. Definitely anything WWE, right? World Wrestling Entertainment. And as I've been watching March Madness, there's been advertisements for lots of other different wrestling. But yeah, I mean, those entrances of those wrestlers, sometimes I got one little uh, video clip from a friend that showed one wrestler coming in on a zip line down into the middle of the, the arena there. And yeah, those are dramatic entrances. And 
One individual mentioned Nebraska football entering Memorial Stadium. If you've ever been to a Nebraska game, that's pretty, like, you get goosebumps. And, and then another person mentioned the, the U, University of Wyoming football game, grand entry with Cowboy Joe. And, and those, those stadiums full of people were the, the roar of the crowd. And that was kind of the same thing for me. Uh, I would say the most dramatic introduction or entrance was to be at a, a Bronco game where they introduced the players and, and all. The, 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 the fans standing on their feet and cheering. And, and so the reality for many of us is we've experienced maybe some dramatic entrances or introductions. And the passage of Scripture, again, that we're going to look at this morning is Jesus' triumphal entry. Jesus entered Jerusalem to publicly announce that he was God's Messiah, that, that he was the king. But many of his followers had their own expectations of what that kingdom would be like. And Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem showed exactly who he was. In fact, he, he blended elements of humility and peace with power and glory to reveal the, the kind of the upside-down nature of his kingdom. And so if you'll turn to Luke chapter 19 with me this morning, Luke chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 28 all the way down through 44. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over there and follow along with me. You can follow along on the screens or your digital devices. And if you are able this morning, will you stand with me as we read God's word together? Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. If you're able, will you stand as we honor God by reading his word? It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Uh, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace... But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment, an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Will you pray with me this morning? God, our desire... As we meet together as your children, Father, may we encourage one another, may we build one another up. As we spend time in your word, God, it may it challenge us, convict us, may it direct us and guide us. Father, as we meet in your presence, may your Holy Spirit work 
mightily in our hearts and our minds. Again, may you reveal yourself anew to us this morning, that we might have a fresh perspective on the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, that we would hear from you this, this day. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you look at this passage, from our perspective, it, it seems like it's probably a pretty simple, straightforward story of the crowds of people cheering for, for the arrival of Jesus. And that is the basic truth of what's going on here in these verses, but there's so much more going on behind the scenes of, of these, this passage of Scripture. And so I want us to look more closely. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to again remind you that the title of the message is, is Here Comes the King. Here comes the king, and, and this king, if you're to take notes, he's a peaceful king. Jesus is a peaceful king, and as we look at verses 35 through 38 and verse 42 again, it says, They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coal, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then also again in verse 42, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. There was printed in a church bulletin at one point, this, it said, the peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. The peacemaking meeting. And isn't that the way it works for us as humans? We, we have plans for peace, but then along comes a conflict and it creates lack of peace. And yet Jesus is our peaceful king. I appreciate what Paul had to share in last week's message from 2 Peter when it, when it comes to this idea of peace. And as we look at what King Jesus was going through at this time in this passage, I want to remind us of the significance of the type of animal on which Jesus was riding. As we look at different accounts of this, we, we know it's this donkey, this, this colt. And, and a conquering king, well, a conquering king would come in on a horse. He would come in with, with kind of authority of a king. But a king coming in peace would ride a donkey. And Jesus had not come to establish an earthly kingdom, a military kingdom. He would free the Jews from Rome, but it wasn't from political oppression. He would free them in an eternal way. He's an eternal king who would free many from the condemnation of sin and the slavery that comes from that. He wanted to reconcile people back to God. And so he came as the true Passover lamb who had come to take away the sins of the world as we look in John chapter 1, verse 29. And Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. And on Wednesday nights, we're in the, the middle with our young kids, uh, this idea of the, the books of the prophecy and in Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, 500 years, Jesus fulfills this prophecy here in Zechariah 9.9 where he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, 
righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And once again, the, the people expected their Messiah to overthrow the Romans and establish a literal Jewish kingdom. But Jesus rode into town on a donkey. He rode into town on a young, a young donkey, not a war horse. And he was signaling what was coming. He, he wanted to bring peace. And how does this sit with you this morning? Are many of you this morning praying prayers about our country, praying prayers that, you know, God would overthrow our governments, that God would bring about this, this earthly kingdom? Or do we pray prayers that God would work through you to help bring peace between your spouse and God? That God would, you, would use you to help bring peace between your friend and God? Are you praying prayers that God would use you to bring peace between God and anyone that you know of that is at odds with God. See, there's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And our peaceful king, he wants us to be in the battle. He, he wants us to go to war. But he has a specific way of us doing it. He wants us to share the truth and share it in love. And so when was the last time you shared in love the truth of God's word with someone. And again, last week's message, Paul shared from 2 Peter this idea that we need to make every effort to be, to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with God. And I think for many of you, maybe in this room, you are there. You, you're being found spotless and blameless and at peace with God. You're making that effort in your own life. But I guess maybe for us this morning, I wonder how many of us are helping somebody else make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with God. On March 18th, many of you know a, a faithful woman of God named LaVon Coventry, and she checked into hospice. Her body was not responding well to the, the chemotherapy that was taking place as she's fighting leukemia. And um, as I went and visited uh, the last, over the last several weeks, it was interesting as I talked with LaVon, and I asked her, what, what can we be praying for you as a church? And she responded, you can pray for peace in my life. And the more I talked with her about her situation and, and her desire to go, home, to go home to be with the Lord, I could tell that she was there. She's at peace with God. She knows where she's going to spend eternity. And I wonder how many of us can say we have that same peace, knowing that this world is not our final destination, but that we have something so much better to look forward to. And we live in a broken world full of noise and chaos and confusion and disappointment and loss. And it's easy for us as Christians to want to have the same mentality as the Jews at that, that very first, you know, Palm Sunday. Where they're looking forward to having an earthly kingdom, having the Messiah come and be their king and to advance the kingdom of God forcefully and we kind of have that same mentality don't we at times we want to see God come and, and and give it to those people that 
are so far away from God that are, are living lives in an opposition to God. We want God to come and rule here on this earth. And yet that's not what his word teaches. God wants us to stop worrying about the physical and start worrying about the spiritual. We have to stop dragging our feet and have the courage to tell a grandparent that they need to get right with God. To tell a spouse that they need Jesus to lovingly share with a child or a friend that the only way they can have true peace in this life is to be in relationship with God. So are we doing our part to help others be at peace with God? You see, Jesus is a peaceful king. And Jesus is a worthy king as you look into these verses throughout this passage here in chapter 19. Again, going back to verses 35 through 36 and 39 through 40. We see that there's these crowds that gathered. And again, if you, if you go to John chapter 11, you'll see that Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus didn't need to announce himself because his followers were already there waiting to celebrate his power and glory. They shouted their praise, spreading cloaks on the road to acknowledge him as their Messiah and King. And he rightly received and even expected their worship, saying that even the stones would praise him if the people didn't. Verses 35 and 36 tell us of how the crowd spread their cloaks out uh, or their outer robes out on the road in front of the donkey that Jesus was riding. And this was another way to represent the king, to, to treat a king that was coming in. In fact, if you look into 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, there's a prophet of God that proclaimed a man named Jehu as king. And that's exactly what took place in this passage here in 2 Kings 9, 12 and 13. It says that their response was this. They hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. You see, this was something they did to honor a king. This was another clear message in the story that Jesus was not coming just as any ordinary man, just not as just a good teacher or a prophet. He was coming as the king of kings who would sit on the throne of David for eternity. And in John 12, 13, this same story of Jesus' triumphal entry is told and it tells how the people not only laid their cloaks down, but they waved palm branches. Palm branches were another way to prepare the way of the king. And in ancient history, palm branches oftentimes symbolized goodness and victory. And some Jewish coins even had, in the first century, had palm engravings on them. And they also were accompanied with inscriptions that said, The Redemption of Zion. And we also find palm branches as part of worship described in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. Where it says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They honored Jesus 
as king. The sovereign God had brought all these indicators together in one place at one time to declare Christ as Messiah and King. And I wonder for each and every one of us this morning, do we recognize Jesus as our King? Is He worthy in our lives? And in response to all these signs, the people began to praise Jesus. Quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26, a verse with clear references to the coming Messiah that had been written centuries before. It says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, the donkeys and the cloaks and the palm branches and the praises of the people all declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the King. And you think about it, at the time that this was taking place, that was kind of dangerous. I mean, the Roman government was pretty powerful. And to say that someone else was going to come in as their king, that, that was a dangerous proclamation. And yet they were willing to stand up for what they thought was the truth, what they knew to be the truth that Jesus was the Messiah. The king of kings. And even though they might have been confused, they still proclaimed him as that. In the midst of the cheers, there were Pharisees, some of the most religious Jews who were watching this event unfold. And and they rejected the claims that Jesus was the Messiah. And, And they called for him to rebuke his disciples. To tell them to stop singing your praises, to stop honoring you. You're not the Messiah. They told Jesus to to stop that. And in Jesus' response, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I remember hearing a message on this as a young kid, and I always thought in my mind, I never want to let the rocks out in the playground outpraise me. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't want the, 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 gra- the rocks that I was picking out of the field. You know, we'd have to go pick rocks on the farm and go put, pick up a rock and throw it into the tractor bucket. I don't want those stones praising God louder than me in my life. And so I, I want to give God the honor that he's due. I, I want to give the Son of God, Jesus, the honor that he is due in my life. Jesus was stating the truth that the praises of God in Jesus Christ cannot be silenced. Christ's followers were giving glory to Jesus because he was the promised one from God. But the Pharisees, they refused to believe that he was the Messiah, to give him glory. And our world is familiar with the concept of giving glory. In fact, we give glory and praise, don't we, to to athletes and actors and musicians and authors and scientists and political officials and and many other people. And it's this idea of saying that they are set apart, that they have greatness that maybe the average person doesn't have. It's a distinction that one is better than the rest because of their ability and their achievements or because of who they are. And it's this idea of unequaled greatness. And once again, do we see Jesus like that? Do we see Jesus as the one who is our worthy king that deserves glory and honor and praise separated from everybody else in our life? Because the reality is, is that he is. 
He does deserve that in our lives. He is worthy beyond our imaginations. And for many of us, we allow our relationship with him to be one uh, of like uh, one time I saw a shirt, maybe you've seen it as well, that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, we, we see Jesus as our friend because his word tells us that he is. But man, he is so much more than just our homeboy. He's the God of the universe. He is creator. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And all too often, we just want to kind of like, hey, Jesus, what's up? We kind of just fist bump him and we move on. But Jesus is so much more than our homeboy. In fact, our lives should be an expression of how amazing God is. Amen? Our very lives should express our relationship with him and how grateful we are for who he is in our lives. And if we choose not to give glory to God, then creation is going to cry out instead of us. He is of infinite worth. There is no other name that will ring throughout the halls of heaven for eternity except the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the names that we put on pedestals here on this earth, people that we think are great athletes or actors or politicians or whoever we think is great here on this earth, those names are going to be remembered no more. Eternity is going to be spent proclaiming the name of Jesus. And the praise of God cannot be silenced, and the sovereignty of God will not be denied. And if we do not give him glory, nature itself will testify to his greatness. And so my question is, are you honoring King Jesus in your life? Are you honoring King Jesus in your life? What do you spend your time doing? I realize we live in a physical world. There are things that we have to accomplish, things that we do. But what about your free time? What do you spend your free time doing? What do you spend your extra money on? Because those are two indicators of the important things in your life. And my prayer is, is that we are honoring God with every aspect of our life. We need to see Jesus as our worthy king and live our lives in a way that represents that. And the third thing I would encourage you to write down if you're taking notes is Jesus is a caring king. He's a peaceful king, he is a worthy king, and he is a caring king. I want us to look at these verses again, starting in verse 41 of chapter 19 of Luke. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept for his people. Knowing that they would misunderstand the nature of his kingdom, that greatness is found in humble service, not in arrogant rule. His tears and his actions over the next week leading up to his death on the cross reveal the depth of his love for us. And Jesus' eventual self-sacrifice on our behalf is the ultimate example of the kind of king that he is. Jesus saw something that many people in that moment didn't see. It reminds me of the story of little Bobby 
who listened with deep interest to the story of the prodigal son. Right up to the happy ending when, when the son returned and the fattened calf was killed and the house was filled with music and dancing. Then little Bobby suddenly burst into tears. Why, what is the matter, Bobby? Explained, exclaimed his mother. I'm so sorry for that poor little calf, he sobbed. He didn't do nothing. See, Bobby, in the story of the prodigal son that led up to joy and celebration, he saw something that was saddened him. And here was a case where the expected emotion was to be joy, but the tender-hearted boy responded with unexpected sorrow, for he saw an aspect of tragedy in the story that no one else even considered. And like the, the boy listening to the joyful conclusion of the story of the prodigal, Jesus seems to see something that no one else sees. Jesus seems to, to find something in the midst of what's going on and, and all the noise and the chaos because his ears hear the music triumphant, but his eyes have focused on the tragic. And the result is what we see in verse 41, a king in tears. And one preacher put it this way. He said, amidst, amidst all this joyful shouting, the king for whom they shout weeps. Make no mistake about it, these are not tears of joy. These are not the tears of a Miss America walking out into a crowd of cheering subjects. These are not the tears of excitement and surprise joy. These tears are the tears of the king of sorrow, as he sees sorrow from the very depths of what's going on behind the scenes. Jesus said with his tears more than any lecture could communicate. Jesus was saying, I see something that no one else sees. I see as God, and therefore I weep as man. He saw the future as it was going to be, and not as he wished it to be, and not as the circumstances would suggest it was to be, Jesus saw that in spite of all the enthusiasm to exalt him to the throne of Israel, he would be exalted instead to the cross. He knew the leaders of Israel would reject and crucify him, and the tears of the king tell us he is a king who does not take lightly the loss of his people. He knows they will reject him, but he cannot accept this fact without deep emotion. Jesus was no stone-hearted man who could look upon the tragic side of life and be unmoved. He broke down and wept. He cared that man would perish, and he loved those who despised him. He did not limit his love to those shouting, Hosanna to the King of David. He loved equally those blind Pharisees. And he wept for them who would lead his people into the ditch of destruction. And I wonder about us this morning. When was the last time that you wept over a friend that you knew was going to hell? When was the last time you wept over a family member that you knew was outside of Jesus Christ? When was the last time you wept for your neighbors across the street 
that have no relationship with God? Do we love the hard-to-love people the way Jesus loves them? Do we weep for the lost? Do we care so deeply for the lost that you're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes? And I, as I thought about this, and I just thought about my own life, like, do I like my safe, predictable I'm kind of type A, I like structure, and, and I like, I like uh, you know, routine at times. Am, am I willing to sacrifice my time and my money? Am I willing to sacrifice stepping away from something I think is important to make sure that I'm where God needs me to be? I mean, even just this last Friday, so last uh, Friday we got to be up on the slopes with the, my kids, and there was times where I'd rather just go up the lift on my own. That way my board has space to maneuver and I don't have to worry about trying to make small talk with someone and that sort of thing. But am I willing to put myself into those scenarios where I go up with a perfect stranger on a ski lift and have 10 minutes to make small talk and maybe bring up Jesus into their lives? Am I, do I care for people enough to weep over them? I pray that we care as deeply as Jesus did. As the praise team comes this morning, I guess I want to close with this idea of, are you serving the peaceful, worthy, caring King Jesus? Or are you just kind of doing your own thing? Do you need to be forgiven of your sin this morning and come into relationship with King Jesus? Because in Hebrews 9.22 it says, we are told, it says, without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sin. You see, Jesus was that perfect Passover lamb. Jesus shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and gain eternal life. And all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they, they didn't do the job. In fact, it was just pointing to the true sacrifice that was still to come. In Jesus, the Old Testament sacrifices, those were temporary and in effect, they had to be repeated over and over and over again. But the truth of the New Testament, the New Covenant, is that Jesus is the one-time sacrifice. See, sin against an infinite and holy God demanded an infinite and holy sacrifice. When Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, died, the full wrath of God was satisfied. And Jesus Christ was truly the eternal Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And similar to the Lamb's blood at Passover, it was the shed blood of Christ that covered the guilt of man and protects man from the judgment of God and no other sacrifice will ever be required again. So I want to leave you with this. Jesus wants everyone to be at peace with God. And Jesus is worthy of our worship to him, and he deeply cares about where you and your loved ones are going to spend eternity. In fact, he cared so much that he was willing to go to the cross and sacrifice himself in our place 
And so my challenge for us as we close is that we don't allow that sacrifice to be made in vain. My prayer is that we don't allow his sacrifice to be for nothing. Whether it be in our own lives or in the lives of the people that we need to lead to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you know you need to get right with God, you need to clothe yourself with Jesus as Galatians 3.27 says. When you're baptized into him, you clothe yourself with Christ. Your faith comes together with God's grace. I'd encourage you to come. As we sing our song of invitation, will you please stand with me?